so what powers of P and M would appear in equation 649 if the calculation was carried to the next higher order? P to the sixth over M to the fifth. Are the corrections to the Bohr energies of hydrogen that are higher order in the hyperfine splitting term? Um, so in the book, he mentions the hyperfine terms are order alpha to the fourth. There's a lamb shift at alpha to the fifth. There's a alpha to the fourth times m electron over m proton. And there's, you can go to as high as order as you have the energy to carry out the calculation. Or the imagination to think of the things that have been left out so far. Where does Thomas precession correction come from? So you guys all took uh, relativity. So you know how <coughs> if something's moving with respect to you, it can look like it's rotated. If it gets accelerated at that point, then that rotation can be turned into an actual rotation, not just a rotation that it looks like to you because it's moving with respect to you. Because when the acceleration happens, different it's an extended object. Uh, depending on what frame you're in, depending where the acceleration is applied, in one frame, the acceleration will be across the whole body simultaneously. But in another frame, what's simultaneous is different if that frame is moving. So you'll get, when things are accelerated, you get extra rotations in relativity. So this Thomas precession is an extra rotation of the direction of the spin. because <coughs> The electron is accelerating around the proton. How important is it to take into account relativistic corrections? So these relativistic corrections are giving us alpha to the fourth corrections. The leading for formula for the binding energy was alpha squared. So these are corrections that are uh, down by a factor of 10,000. Roughly, the velocity of the electron is alpha, 1 over 137. And relativistic corrections are b squared over, well, it's in units of <coughs> speed of light, it's alpha. And relativistic corrections are usually b squared over c squared. So that's why we get an extra factor of alpha squared. What is spin-orbit coupling? So because the electron is moving around the proton, it sees a magnetic field. So if I was sitting on top of the electron, I would see the proton moving around me. Since it has a charge, it will also produce a magnetic field. The magnetic field that I would see is proportional to my angular momentum around the proton. And the electron is charged, so it has a magnetic moment. <coughs> that magnetic moment couples into the magnetic field. So it's called spin orbit because it's spin dotted into the orbital angular momentum. <coughs> Why should H prime commute with L squared, S squared, and J if H does not commute with L and S? <coughs> so I think the question only makes sense to me if there's an H prime there, because H did commute with those guys. Um, so H prime has an L dot S in it. And <coughs> components of S, SX doesn't commute with SY, so there's no reason why it has to commute with S. L doesn't have to commute with L because it's a vector. But it can commute with 
uh, L, L squared and S squared. Because you work out the commutation relations and it happens. Or <coughs> J squared is L squared plus S squared plus 2L dot S. And we know that a component, well, if we can show that L dot S commutes with L squared and S squared, then it's better commute with itself. So then it can commute with J squared. When we solve for the expectation value of P to the fourth, uh, it's written as P squared times P squared, and use the fact that P squared is an emission operator. Can we do this in the general case for other operators? Sure. If you have a square of Hermitian operator, you can write it, take it off to either side of the ket and make life simple. In what applications do corrections of 10 decimal places become important? Um, so <coughs> if you want to build a transistor radio or an iPod, probably not. If you want to find out what the fundamental laws of physics are, then probably yes. So you calculate the spectrum of hydrogen to 12 decimal places and check that experimentally it agrees to 12 decimal places. Then A, you have uh, pretty good confidence in quantum mechanics. It actually is the way the world works, even though it sounds confusing the first 10 times you take a quantum mechanics course. <laughs> also, you can use precision measurements to 10 or 12 decimal places to look for new physics that you don't know about. So if we did the calculation to 14 decimal places and we find that it disagrees with the experiment, then there's some new effect that's left out, like a new force. So people do, the, do things to higher and higher precision to make sure that they understand everything. And if they find a discrepancy, then they might have found something brand new. And they do that in atomic spectra, but also in um, E plus, E minus colliders. All try to ca calculate things to as many decimal places as possible. So they calculate the, you guys read about the G minus 2 factor. The G, the G factor for the electron. The thing that determines the magnetic moment in proportion to the spin. It was in the chapter, I think. Uh, Turns out it's easier to calculate that for a muon than an electron, so they've calculated that to 12 decimal places. And they're trying to measure it to 12 decimal places to see if there's a discrepancy. If there is, then there's some new physics, like some new particles. People like to think there's supersymmetric partners involved particles. They would contribute to that. That's some effect that's not included, so that could give you a discrepancy. How many total corrections are there to approximate the hydrogen atom? Um, so we're going to calculate two of them. There's At higher orders, there's lamb shift, and we're going to do the hyperfine splitting. So it's just a question of how accurate you want to go. So if you need the answer to uh, one part in 10,000, then you only need the ones we're calculating. If you need one part in a million, then you need to go to the next order. And you can keep going.
what are the fine structures and what do they mean? <coughs> okay, so we calculated the spectrum of hydrogen. Binding energies look like that. Uh, when you look at and heat up a ga hydrogen gas and put it through a prism, you see different lines of different colors. If you take a magnifying glass and look at these lines, so blow this up to this, what you see is that it's made out of smaller lines that are very close together. So this little splitting here is the fine structure. Those are the corrections that we're trying to calculate using perturbation theory. All these lines, if they're coming from a degenerate transition, and all these guys are degenerate, these higher order corrections split these into different energy levels that show up as different colors of light in the spectrum. Two big ones when we started this course. <laughs> okay, so last time <coughs> we were calculating particles in an extra dimension that being attracted <coughs> to a brain, or more prosaically, a bead on a wire with a little kink in it. And <coughs> it was sort of like doing a particle in a box, <coughs> and now we have periodic boundary conditions. So it's a periodic box instead of a box where the wave function vanishes at each end. So we got. <coughs> Wave functions that were ex exponentials, e to the 2 pi i nx over l, where n <coughs> would be 0 or plus or minus an in integer. And then <coughs> the Hamiltonian was just p squared over 2m. So we get things like an energy spectrum that grows like n squared. Then we added a kink in the wire. So it can lower its energy by being close to x equals 0 with some Gaussian distribution, and we assume the width of that kink was much smaller than the length of our wire. Then we calculated the matrix elements of the perturbation Hamiltonian. So when for between n state with quantum number n uh, with the same state with the same n, we get a we got this expression a root pi, and we get the same thing when change both of the n's to minus because <coughs> it's symmetrical whether it's going around this way or going around this way. But it's also an off-diagonal term between n and minus n. So the kink can uh, the kink gives an overlap between a state going this way and a state going the opposite way. And we evaluated that overlap integral and got this complicated exponential of the square. Finally, we plugged into our formula for the um, energy levels with the perturbation. And because this was equal to that, it simplified to WNN plus or minus the absolute value of WN minus N. And plugging in these values, we found this expression. 
So what are these eigenstates? Or in other words, what are the good states? So from our formulas from our <coughs> degenerate perturbation theory, uh, we have this equation where we're writing we write the <coughs> eigenstates that diagonalize the perturbation Hamiltonian in terms of the unperturbed solutions. So psi n and psi minus n are two unperturbed solutions with the same energy. This perturbation is mixing them and splitting them. And when we applied perturbation theory, we got a formula like this in general. So if we apply that to our particular case, solve for beta. Take this alpha term over there, divide by Wn minus n. And from our formula down there, E plus or minus minus Wnn just cancels out that first Wnn. So we'll get plus or minus W and minus n absolute value over Wn minus n. So we'll get minus plus alpha since WNN is negative. So the good the good states are psi plus equals alpha psi n minus alpha psi minus n. And since things are supposed to be normalized, we know that alpha must be 1 over root 2. So we have a <coughs> linear combination of e to the i, 2 pi nx over l, and the exponential of the minus sign. And everyone knows that's a cosine. Sign actually. <coughs> so that looks like the solution of the particle in the box. And there should be two. state with the higher energy, there's a state with the lower energy, which is going to be 1 over root 2 psi n plus psi minus n. <coughs> and plugging in the exponentials now with the plus sign, we'll get a cosine. So that's not a solution we got with the particle in the box. But now with our periodic boundary conditions, we can get sines and cosines. And the cosine has the lower energy, because we put this kink at x equals 0. 
which makes sense, right? If, if we imagine our wire is horizontal, and we put a little kink in it there, so it has a lower energy if it sits there. Wave functions that are peaked where that kink is will have a lower energy. Wave functions that are go through zero, so the sine goes through zero where the kink is, will have a higher energy than the cosine solution. So if we'd known these uh, solutions from the start, we could have saved a lot of work if we knew what the good states were. So how would we know what the good states were without doing all that work? You think of an operator that commutes with the Hamiltonian and the perturbation. So if we look at the parity operator, takes x to minus x. Look, our perturbation Hamiltonian was Gaussian around x equals 0. So it commutes with the uh, perturbation Hamiltonian. Our unperturbed Hamiltonian was just momentum squared over 2m. So if you write that as a gradient operator <coughs> squared, changing the gradient to minus itself will give you back the same Hamiltonian. So the, this parity operator commutes with the perturbation in the Hamiltonian, and it has real eigenvalues, so it's Hermitian. So acting on parity operator acting on this exponential flips the sine, but the sine and the cosine are the eigenstates parity operator. So the parity operator acting on sine x gives sine of minus x, which is minus sine x. Parity operator on cosine x is cos of minus x, which is cos x. So if we just realize <coughs> that this parity operator was one of these special operators that commutes with the Hamiltonians. Then we could have just said the solutions are sine and cosine, like we found after some painful work. And then we could have just evaluated two matrix elements. find the good states, then the Hamiltonian, the perturbation Hamiltonian is automatically diagonal. And then it's just like non-degenerate perturbation theory. First order energy correction is the expectation value of the perturbation in that state. So our perturbation was this Gaussian state is the sine function. Mm -hmm. 
minus be the same thing with the cosine squared. So write sine squared using one of those half angle formulas that I can never, never remember. It's one minus cos theta, cos two theta. And cos squared is one plus cos two theta. So <coughs> e plus or minus approximation that the integral goes from minus infinity to plus infinity when a is small compared to L. We can write both of these matrix elements as a single integral with the plus or minus inside. That integral. Not surprisingly, you get the same answer, but with less work. So the summary again is there are some eigenstates that diagonalize the perturbation Hamiltonian. And if we look at the states that are just degenerate, if we find those states, then the perturbation Hamiltonian is diagonal, if those are the eigenstates in that subspace. That's what eigenstates mean. They di diagonalize the Hamiltonian. So if we find the states that diagonalize the perturbation Hamiltonian, then we can just use our non-degenerate perturbation theory formula. Since there's no off-diagonal terms, it reduces to the non-degenerate perturbation theory. So I think uh, let's do some more examples. I'm trying to get to fine structure, but you guys look sufficiently confused that we'll have to do it four or five more times before we get there. Uh, let's see. So what would happen if there were more <coughs> than two states that were degenerate? <coughs> so would we have just two degenerate eigenstates <coughs> we solved uh, we plugged into our perturbation theory formulas and found that we've got equations that relate the coefficients for the for an arbitrary eigenstate so this E1 is the first order energy correction Alpha and beta are the expansion coefficients of the wave function. And these w's are the matrix elements of the perturbation Hamiltonian. <coughs> so we could write this as a matrix. 
now it's clear. Is this another way of saying what we've been saying the last hour and a half of lecture? That what we want are the eigenstates that diagonalize this Hamiltonian, then we'll get the eigenvalues. So this is really an eigenvalue. So if we had more than two states, we just write a bigger matrix here and find its eigenvalues. So in general, we'll have n different states that are degenerate. We'll have an n by n matrix that we have to diagonalize. states that have the same energy V naught. We can write that as a 3 by 3 diagonal matrix. And we have some perturbation Hamiltonian who's characterized by epsilon times V naught. And after evaluating all the matrix elements <coughs> in those states, we get this matrix. states of this unperturbed Hamiltonian are just the obvious things. Since we chose some random basis, in this whatever basis this is, the eigenvectors of this matrix are 1, 0, 0, 0, 1, 0, 0, 0, 1. And they all have the same energies. Be not. Now after we <coughs> if we turn on this perturbation Hamiltonian, we have to define the shifts in the energy we need to diagonalize this matrix.
minus times this guy times its determinant of its submatrix. So, so it draws out this and this. So when I factor this out, it's going to bring in another minus sign here. Let's check my So when I factor this out, this becomes minus 2, cancels that 2. So then we'll factor out a lambda. So the eigenvalues are <coughs> 0, 1, and 3. And uh, then you can solve for the eigenvectors. <coughs> three-component vector is equal to <coughs> lambda times that same three-component vector. And plug in lambda is 0, 1, or 3, and solve for these guys. But by inspection, you can probably see that those eigenvectors <laughs> after normalization. You might not get the normalization by inspection, but the relative factors. could get this one right. Where's our matrix? So this these guys add up to zero, these guys add up to zero. So one 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 has eigenvalue zero. And uh, acting on one over root two, zero, one over root two we'd get 1 over root 2, and then we'd get 0. This, this 
zero and the middle guy multiplies this one. And then we get one over root two again. And then once we have those two, we just have to find an orthogonal one. So the final energies are V naught, V naught times one plus epsilon, V naught one plus three epsilon. You guys did the harmonic oscillator in one dimension, but reality is 3D, at least. So 3D harmonic oscillator. First we'll have to solve. So we have a potential that's x squared plus y squared plus z squared write the coefficient in terms of the omega because we know the answer. Now we have a three-dimensional <coughs> kinetic term. And you guys can solve this in your heads now. Right? So it's just three copies of a one-dimensional harmonic oscillator. So if it was just one-dimensional, we could write the Hamiltonian uh, in terms of raising and lowering operators. H bar omega times a plus a minus plus a half. Now we'll write it with three terms. There'll be a raising and lowering operators for y and z. And each one of them had a half going along with them, so there's three halves. Now that it's written in terms of raising and lowering operators, solved. So we know the ground state. We can write all of our states in terms of the uh, quantum numbers for x, y, and z. So the ground state is 0, 0, 0. It has an energy 3 halves h bar omega. excited state, there are three possible guys. There's one, zero, 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 one, zero, 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 one. <coughs> so the degeneracy of the ground state was one. There's only one ground state. Here, there are three states with the same energy, 
for the first excited state. <coughs> if we have the second excited state, the n total is 2. So there should be six ways that I can do that. ways to add up three integers, positive integers, to get two. In general, there's, if I go to the nth level, there's n plus one times n plus two over two. So the 3D harmonic oscillator is an excellent source of degeneracy. And your recommended daily allowance is to solve a different harmonic oscillator problem every day. So, we get to do degenerate perturbation theory in three dimensions. That's what's fun about three dimensions. And it's easy to make up lots of perturbations. states, this guy reduces x by 1 and raises y by 1. This guy reduces y by 1 and raises <coughs> x by 1. So if you think about this as a matrix, this, is a ma this perturbation is going to mix up states with the same total quantum number. So it's not going to change the total quantum number, but it's going to mix things between x and y. <coughs> some uh, non-degenerate perturbation theory for the ground state, since there's only one state. So the expectation value of the perturbation Hamiltonian in the ground state is, you guys following each other? The expectation value in the ground state. So, <laughs> expectation value of the perturbation in the ground state. I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> expectation value is what? Anyone, anyone care to offer a guess? What happens if I have a minus acting on a state that already has zero? Zero. 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 That was easy. So, recall in one dimension, the raising operator gave you n plus 1 times <coughs> the square root times the n plus 1 state. The lowering operator gives you n times the n minus <coughs> 1 state. 
Now let's do the first excited state. Then we have three guys. Maybe I can fit it in here. <coughs> so let's look at the overlap of an arbitrary state. One zero zero state. That will be what? So the term with a lowering operator in Y will give us zero because Y is already zero. So the only thing we'll get is if the lowering operator acts on the x component. And then we'll get a bh bar omega, because root 1 is 1. So <coughs> we'll lower x and we'll raise y. So that means x has to be 0 and y, and y has to be 1 and z has to stay the same. So if nx and y and z are 0, 1, 0, we get bh bar omega. We get 0 otherwise. We do 0, 1, 0. because it's symmetrical in x and y. So we'll get bh bar omega if we raise x to 1 and lower y to 0. Otherwise, we get 0. And then there's the 0, 0, 1 state. We write down our perturbation matrix. There are three, degeneracy was three for the first excited state, so it's a three by three matrix. only mixes up these states with x and y excitations. It doesn't mix, there's no matrix elements between 
in z equals one state in any of the others. So really, we only have to solve a two by two guy. And it's zero down the diagonal, so it's even easier. So <coughs> get lambda squared minus one equals zero. So lambda equals plus or minus one are the eigenvalues. And uh, solving for the eigenvectors, this flips B and A. So we get B is plus or minus A. So the eigenvectors, after normalizing, are 1 over root 2. 1 over root 2, or 1 over root 2, minus 1 over root 2. So the good states of 1, 0, 0, and 0, 1, 0. One symmetric, one anti-symmetric. What's the third good state? Third good state is just 0, 0, 1. It was already in my good state of perturbation. So our first excited state has energy 3 halves plus 1, which is 5 halves in far omega. Turn on this perturbation. Which one goes up? <coughs> this one stays constant. So this A corresponded to the plus eigenvalue. It's unfortunate to have two B. So that was too easy. So let's do second excited state. Then we get to do a six by six matrix. Can we diagonalize to six by six matrix? We're going to do it <coughs> in real time on the board in the remaining minute of the <laughs> Okay, I guess I guess we'll do it next time. You can think about diagonalizing <coughs> six by six matrices in your head. And uh, so if you give us a one problem where we have to diagonalize a six by six matrix, and we just use our T eighty nine and we have to If I gave you one it would be so easy that it, you could do it without your calculator, but if the calculator makes you feel better. Addition is really, really simple and I still use my calculator. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you plug it into the printer and print out the...